right, friends, we are going to dive into the Gospel of Mark today at chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, and I'm going to read that now for us. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me now? O Lord, let your word be a light unto our path today, a lamp unto our feet. May those gathered here be faithful, Lord, in hearing the message that you have for them. And may I be faithful, Lord, in speaking the message that you have for me to speak today. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I'm happy to be with you to wrap up the fifth and final sermon in this series on life on mission. This idea that God is calling us to see the everyday mission opportunities right in front of our eyes. Whether we are being called to be on mission in our homes, in our communities, at our places of work, in this church building or across the globe. And I know that it, it, it's kind of been, uh, you've gotten lots of good perspective on mission, I hope, this summer as we've had all of these different guests come through. I hope that you have been as inspired as I have by people like Kofi and Michael and Kiwi and Teresa who spoke last week that have such a heart for sharing the love and the word of Jesus Christ. I hope you know that God is ready to convict you in the same way. Maybe not with the exact same mission, but God is ready to convict and equip you to be on life and for mission for him, whether that is, like I said, here in this church building or in your communities or at your place of work. And so as we've listed up different concepts of sharing a life on mission, sharing, serving, growing, praying. Today we're going to talk about connecting. And I want to do that with a very key phrase. It's four very easy words you can take with you today. And those are right where you are. Right where you are. I'm going to be real honest because we're in church. I stole this, actually, from Linda Zelinka. She preached last week at our Jones Road campus. And Linda, as many of you know, in addition to being a pastor at Foundry, is also the executive director of Sci Hope. And her work is to carry out the mission of that organization, which is to make life better for kids in Sci Fair. These kids that are our neighbors, that are our family members, that are our community members, and our church family right here where we are. And Linda does that because she believes, like I do, that living a life on mission begins where we are. As we sit and we worship in this place, God is impressing upon us right where we are his word that we might share it, that we might grow in it, that we might serve because of it, that we might pray over it, 
and that we might connect with it. To do that, we have visited several times over the last couple of weeks what we call the Great Commission, this passage from Matthew 28, 18 through 10, where Jesus comes to his disciples and he says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey what I have commanded you. And surely I am with you until the very end of the age. See, as we visited these words, we have realized that this is not just the account of what Jesus said to his disciples 2,000 years ago. This is an enduring word and an enduring command that Jesus intends for us, for all people in all generations, not just in one time in one place, but for a command that we are all to follow to the very end of the age. Because as the word of God endures, the mission of God continues to endure. It is what makes the church the church, as Kofi likes to say. And at Acts 1-8, which we have also visited several times in the last several weeks, we know that God makes this mission possible because we receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, this isn't something that just happened to the disciples gathered in the upper room 2,000 years ago. The same Spirit of God that filled that place then fills each one of us now that we may do the same. So that's the deal. That is where we find ourselves as we wrap up this series on life of mission. One, God has commanded us into mission. Two, God is giving us his power through the Holy Spirit to carry it out. And three, as I want to add and suggest to you today, God is ready to connect in and with and through each one of us right where we are. And we know this because we have Jesus Christ's example in this, especially in this passage of Mark, and we're going to dive into that today because I think that this passage is really, really rich with the reality of right where you are. Now, the Gospel of Mark, um, in contrast to some of the other Gospels, gets right into the ministry of Jesus, where some of the other Gospel writers talk a little bit about his birth and his lineage. Mark really jumps right into his ministry. Jesus is baptized, he is tempted in the desert, and then he is on the move. He's calling followers, and he's calling, calling disciples, and he's storming the synagogue, and he's healing sick people. And just before the passage that we read in Mark, Jesus heals a man. But in addition to making his body well, he also forgives his sins. And as the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, see this, they start to whisper and they start to kind of think to themselves, hold on a second, who is this dude? It is one thing for him to heal, but to forgive someone's sins? Under whose authority does he think he is forgiving someone's sins? The Pharisees go so far as to say that Jesus is blaspheming God. And Jesus senses this, senses this unrest and this doubt, and he says to them, why are you thinking such things? Which is easier, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
Jesus is starting to raise some eyebrows, but now he is tap dancing on the law. He has just claimed the authority of God, the keeper of that law, and now what is he going to do with this claimed authority? He approaches a man named Levi, which is where our text picks up, who is a tax collector. Now that would be the modern day equivalent of being like a mobster but with less firearms and no horse heads stuck in a bed, right? Tax collectors were members of their local communities that had pledged allegiance to the oppressive Roman government. And they were going to do the dirty work of the Roman government, come in and take the tax money, but they were going to keep some for themselves. So they were collecting more money than they were needing to collect. They were crooked, and the system was ripe with abuse. These tax collectors were despised. And in addition to being crooks and despised, they were ritually unclean in the sight of the law. See, to the religious leaders and the followers in that day, it was a you are in or you are out mentality. Grace was not a concept that existed yet. God's people were a chosen group. They were set apart and made holy by God's law. So when Jesus comes in and says, I have the authority of that law, and approaches someone very decidedly outside of the law, and then invites this horrible, despised man to do what? Follow him? Yeah, that was a problem to those people. But I'm going to pause right there because this is where it starts to get good. This is where we start to see that reality of right where you are really coming into life in Jesus' ministry. Because what does Jesus say to Levi? He says, follow me. He looks at unclean, despised, crooked Levi, and he says, follow me. He does not say, Levi, Levi, I want to talk to you about what you've been doing. He does not say, Levi, I need you to go jump through the, uh, through the ceremonial bath over there and pay everybody back what you owe them and then follow me. He does not say any of that. He does not say straighten up. He says simply, follow me. Jesus is meeting Levi right where he is. Not just in his profession, but in his spiritual station in life. And he is connecting with Levi. He is not waiting for this tax collector, this despised member of community, to be a better person before he lets him know, hey, I want you to be with me. See, when we follow Jesus Christ on a life in mission, in his name. It is never going to be about our own worthiness or anybody else's. The fact is, you may be uniquely positioned to do something that nobody else can do. But let me be clear, that is because God has positioned you there. That is God's grace being showered upon you for his glory, and he wants you right where you are. I'll never forget when Ray and Godfrey started to talk to me about going into pastoral ministry. They did not say, okay, well, what I'd like for you to do is go to seminary, get that done, and then when you can recite the books of the Bible forward and backwards, come on over and we'll, so we'll see how it goes. No. 
They simply spoke truth to me that they felt that God was putting on their heart to speak to me about where God needed me to be right where I was. Right where you are means just that. That Jesus wants you right where you are, right as you are. We are commanded into mission for God. We are given power through the Holy Spirit to carry it out. And God is ready to connect with us, in us, and through us right where we are to accomplish it. So when we turn back to that passage in Mark, Jesus has called Levi and Levi has said yes. He follows him. And if that wasn't enough to make the Pharisees' heads explode, Jesus next eats with them. He eats with Levi and a whole bunch of other tax collectors. Now, friends, when Jesus sits down to a meal in Scripture, that is an invitation for us to pay attention. Because mealtime, eating communally, was a significant thing back in those days. It was significant to sit at somebody's table. It was significant who you invited to your table. So it's no, it's no surprise that a lot, many, many poignant moments in Jesus' ministry take place in the backdrop of a meal, where Jesus turns water into wine, hallelujah, at the banquet of a wedding, where Jesus feeds 5,000 with two fish and five loaves on a hillside, where in the last supper, Jesus offers us holy communion with his blood and his body. In the ministry of Jesus Meals represented something greater than just food. I think that's still true today. I don't know if you have ever been humbled by a meal before. I'll never forget one of the most significant meals I've ever um, sat through was with Matt and TJ Campbell. I don't know if um, some of you may know them. They're wonderful people. They're members and attend at our our Jones Road campus. And in spring of 2019... Matt had um, a, suffered a horrible stroke and a health crisis that should have ended his life. And while we sat and waited for the worst to happen, God was clearly up to something greater. And after six months of coma and treatment and rehabilitation, Matt returned home the day before his second daughter was born in October of 2019. He continues to work hard to continue to recover, to get his speech back. He's driving his family to church now, which is an exciting thing. But I tell you all of this to say that in the middle of this time of life, of recovery, of a baby, of a little toddler, Matt and TJ offered us to come to their home and eat dinner with them. Kevin and me, we have four boys. They eat like zoo animals, and they had us over to their home. And I remember in the car ride on the way over there being like, this is ridiculous. We should be like bringing the food. What are we doing? But I got to tell you, I have never been so touched and served as I was to be in the home of somebody that had struggled so much and yet been so faithful and was willing to connect with me and my family in that way. Y'all, there is something biblical about sharing a meal. And this is just a, a little PSA aside. So that means that when somebody feeds you, I do not care if you prefer your potatoes in French fry form and your chicken as nuggets. You're going to, in the name of Jesus Christ, eat the meal and say thank you. Amen? So the Pharisees and the keepers of the law, they are looking in on this scene. They know how significant it is that Jesus is there eating with these people. 
and they can't understand it. They cannot understand why someone who has claimed the authority of God is choosing to use it on those people, those despised people. And Jesus says to them, they say, why does he eat with these tax collectors and these sinners? And Jesus hears it and he says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. See, Jesus is willing to eat with these sinners. He is willing to reach out to connect with these despised, unclean people, with tax collectors. We know from Scripture that he spent time with prostitutes and lepers and all the people that nobody else wanted to hang out with. But we also know that he spent time with the upright citizens, too. That he spent time with the followers and the devout, with the kind and the generous and the good. He spent time with Pharisees. Jesus is saying to Levi, and he's saying to everybody else, I want you right where you are, just as you are. And I'm going to define what that means. Because in the Gospel of John, at 3.16 through 17, we know the first part, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. Whosoever not to condemn, but to save. Jesus' first, firmest task is salvation. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the tax collectors and everybody else that what is true for you is true for them. Do you know the difference between a sinner, one sinner and another? See, we have all sorts of standards for bad behavior. What is the baddest and what is the worst and all the things in between. But friends, let me tell you, it boils down to one thing in God's eyes, and that is repentance. The truth is that an unrepentant tax collector is no different than an unrepentant Pharisee. Jesus is calling the sick, and he is saying that the difference between the sick and the healthy, the sinner, and the righteous is need. The ability to acknowledge need, the willingness to acknowledge it, and to follow Christ. Jesus says, I am willing to call the sinner. I am willing to call the imperfect, the unrighteous, the rejected, and the outcast. And I am willing to call the one that looks like they have it all together. I am willing to call the one who manages to get to places on time and say please and thank you for whom kindness and generosity comes easy. I'm doing this, all of this willingness, because this is not about condemnation. This isn't about labels of any kind. This is about right where you are. This is about seeing right where you are and that right where you are, you are going to fall short of the glory of God. But the glory of God is waiting to invite you in to follow Jesus Christ and show you the way to salvation. Right where we are, we need God. And right where we are, others need him too. And when we can acknowledge this, 
when we can accept that invitation and extend it to others, that is when, friends, the work of the great physician can really start to begin. We are commanded to be on mission for God. We have God's power to carry it out through the Holy Spirit, and God is ready to connect in, with, and through all of us right where we are. Y'all, there is a world out there that has got to know this message. If we are to live a life on mission for Jesus Christ, we have got to connect to the world around us. We have to be willing to see others right where they are, as we see ourselves right where we are, because Christ wants us anyway. And in our sickness, we are worthy of salvation. We are worthy of love, and we are worthy to be part of his mission for this world. I want to close today by telling you a story about me and the church. And I want you to know that church is one of my very favorite places to be. It really is. I know that it is not a perfect place. I know that it is not full of perfect people, myself included. But ever since I was little, I have loved Sundays. I love the music that fills the place, whether it is a contemporary song or a traditional hymn. I love the spirit of God that fills a house of worship. I love sitting around a table in Sunday school and reading the Bible. Y'all, when Katie and Jeremiah and Tammy and Karen are talking about needing leaders and stuff, this is not about we need people to watch the kids so they have something to do while we are in worship. This is about planting a seed that somebody is going to feel and nurture and love we had these two Sunday school teachers when I was growing up, Chuck and Russ. We drove them crazy. We used to try to, like, find the hardest words in the Bible and then see if we could come up with a rhyme, right? But, but, but what we could see that they were doing was sharing the love of God, living life on a mission in a really near and tangible way. And out of that grew a love for church for me, a love of volunteering, a love of going to youth group. And when I got into high school, I felt kind of like a haven. The love of the church, the acceptance of the church, the place that you could belong and contribute. I loved that it didn't have anything to do with the drama that maybe was going on in other places in life. But I tell you this to say that as much as I loved it, I didn't really get church until I was a little bit older. I didn't really get what the church is supposed to be about. I saw church as something set apart from the world. I missed how very much God wants the church to be connected to the world. The truth is that God has created this world and he loves every bit of it. And since we began to wander from him in Eden all those years ago, his greatest desire is that we would just return to him fully and completely. And so all of scripture is setting the scene for Jesus as the ultimate redemption, the ultimate guide, the ultimate victor. And how after victory over death, we are given the same spirit of the same God that we might be part of his plan of redemption for the world. This means we're going to come together. 
We're going to realize and honor and treasure what we have together, worshiping here every week, serving together, teaching together, enjoying fellowship together. But then we are going to head out into the world and find the people that don't know about it yet because God loves them too. Because the church was never created to be set apart it is not created for those that are ready and have it all together and know all the answers. The church is here to connect the love of Christ to the world right where we are. So we're going to do that. We are going to connect deeply with the world around us because God loves that world. We're going to connect to God and to his mission right where we are, just as we are. As we close today, friends, I wonder where you are right now. I wonder what your physical status is. I wonder what your spiritual status is. And I wonder if you see how wonderfully God has positioned you right where you are, just as you are, to do what no one else can do. Pray, serve, share, grow, connect right where you are. Because God sees you and he loves you. And he would have it no other way. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray over your word this morning. I pray over it because it is not just the record of what happened 2,000 years ago. I pray over it because it is the message and the will you have for your people today, right where we are, just as we are. And those miracles, those mighty things that you, are, that, that you are capable of making happen, that you have made happen, Lord, you are willing to continue to do it now and forever and again and again and again. So, Lord, as we stand together as a church, as we praise your name right where we are, just as we are, equip us, Lord, to the mission that you have for each one of us to be who you have called us to be to live for you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.